I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Happy Friday, foodies, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is a podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we are chatting with someone from the Food Network family who you know and love dearly. For years, he has shared his exuberant, approachable cooking style and infectious laugh. I am so excited to have him on today because we talk about his Food Network shows, starting his culinary career in Cleveland, his love for the Browns, and his meat-centric style of cooking. He is an award-winning chef, restaurateur, cookbook author, Bobby Flay's BFF, and a returning mentor on Barbecue Brawl, please welcome Michael Simon. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Uh, you and I first met on the on the set of Iron Chef Showdown, and I have to say, you were probably the most relaxed Iron Chef on the show. Uh you always seem to be having a good time. Ha- have you always been that way in the kitchen? Yeah, I, you know what? I love what I do, and it, it makes it just really easy to have fun while I'm doing it. You know, sometimes I think people confuse, like, my happiness with lack of competitiveness, but I, my whole <laughs> childhood and everything else, I was, like, heavily involved in sports. So I always found that kind of the more calm I could make myself, the better I am in that world. All right, well, let's go back to childhood. Let's go back to early, early days because you've been in the game nearly 30 years. You attended the Culinary Institute back in 1990. How did you decide on that path for yourself? Well, you know, I I started culinary and I graduated in early 90. I started in 88. And for me, a lot of it was like another path that I needed to find. I, I was a pretty good high school athlete. I wrestled in high school and and had like a really severe injury my junior year. I, I uh, had, I, I broke my arm at a plate, 14 screws, dislocated elbow, compound oh, wow. fractured the other bone. And I'd been wrestling since I'd been eight years old and was going to go to college, you know, a scholarship for wrestling. And then I tried to come back my senior year and rebroke my arm. So I had to start working to help pay for school. You know, I came from a middle-class family. My dad worked at Ford. 
And I started working in restaurants and just fell in love with it. I was never a great student. Um, <laughs> so I asked my dad if I could go to culinary school. And he said, absolutely not. You're getting an education. You know, culinary school was thought of differently back then. There was no food network. There was no, you know, you weren't going to be a celebrity chef. You know, you're being a tradesman, which is fine. I still think of myself that way. And so he made me go to college and I went to Cleveland State for a semester and got a point two, not a two point, a point two. <laughs> that's impressive. I feel like that's kind of hard to do. It was it wasn't easy. I, I worked very hard at it. And then my uh, you know, I, I have a Greek and Sicilian mother. So she kind of got involved and everyone's afraid of her, even though she's 410 and 95 pounds soaking wet. So she will just call it convinced my father to let me go to culinary school. And that was that off, off to the races. Uh, well, that's a that's a great story. And you mentioned, you know, your background with, you know, Greek, Sicilian, also Eastern European. How have all of those influences really helped shape the chef that you are today? It was huge. Well, you know, my mom was a tremendous influence on foods that I loved. You know, she did. My dad was a good cook, too, but she did a lot of the cooking growing up. So we ate a lot of Greek and Italian food as a kid. And then my dad's father, my pap, who, you know, fortunately, I had in my life till he was 102 years old. Um, was an amazing cook. And that's where I learned all the Eastern European stuff because Cleveland's a very Eastern Euro town. So, you know, that's where the influence of the pierogi and the kielbasa and the smoked meats and all those things came in. My father worked midnights when I was a kid. So I used to always spend, you know, essentially Friday, Saturday, the weekends with my grandparents. And my grandfather would bring me down to the West Side Market. We'd shop for, you know, the meats. And then we'd pick up my grandmother at Higby's and we would go back home and we he'd cook. And so that's kind of where my love of like, you know, the sauerkraut and the smoked meats and the very kind of meat centric cooking that I do was very much driven by my path. Do you remember the first thing that you actually like learned to, to make yourself? Yep. Uh, my mother's baklava, you know, they, she didn't really start me off easy. I'm like, it's still <laughs> yeah. one of the hardest things. Like I, here I am 52 years old. It's still one of the hardest things to make. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, mom, maybe, you know, maybe we should have started off with like butter and noodles or something. But <laughs> she she threw you right in the fire. Uh, what, yeah, what makes, right under the bus. What makes her uh, her baklava so special? You know, she one, she butters between every layer, which is huge. And the other thing is, you know, it's obviously a nut and honey based dessert, but she does this trick where when she grinds up the pistachios and the walnuts, she also there used to be this kids cookie called Schweibel. And she used to grind that up and put it in there, but now that she can't find it anymore. So she used graham crackers mm. and it's like a quarter graham cracker. So it makes the nut mixture hold together better. And it pulls a little bit of the sweetness out. And there's never been a human on earth that has tasted her baklava and not said it's the best they've ever had ever. Like whether they're like, even when you give it to another Greek, they're like, okay, angel wins. <laughs> I mean, it sounds, it sounds delightful. And hopefully I can have a, a chance to, to try that someday. I'm just inviting myself over by the way. I'll, I'll, or I could send you some, you know, okay. she always, she always has a stash, which is good. I was, I was just over the, her house yesterday and I stole some right out of the freezer. She always <laughs> has them in the freezer in little Ziploc bags. So I go down, I steal some, I head out. I love that emergency supply of baklava mm -hmm. at all times. Uh, well, you were you were born and raised in Cleveland, uh, started your career there, largely credited with, you know, saving the restaurant scene in downtown Cleveland. And as many fans know, and as this former you know sportscaster knows, uh, huge Cleveland sports fan as well. So who's going to be the next Cleveland team to, to bring home a title, you think? Oh, it's going to be the Browns. 
Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, I'm Cleveland till I die. Like, I mean, I'm in New York a lot, you know, now and I'm currently home in Cleveland, but you know, a diehard Cleveland sports fan, the, the Browns, the Browns are going to bring Baker and Baker. I trust he will. You uh, You're a big oh, Baker yeah. guy. Okay. Ba- Baker's going to bring us a title. All right. All right. Everybody, you know, mark it on the board. It. We'll play this. Book we'll it. play this clip back. I, it's a, it's I'm guaranteeing it. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Even better. Even better. I'm, but uh, no, you opened your first restaurant there, Lola, in 1997. You know, knowing what you know now about opening restaurants, the entire industry, what advice would you give yourself back then? Well, I, I would say my dad was right. I should have went to college. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm teasing, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. The beauty about when we opened, my wife, Liz and I opened our first restaurant in 97. And the beauty of it, I think, is we had nothing. So we had no fear, which I think is what made it such a great restaurant. I mean, I learned a lot along the way on how to do things better and smarter and this and that. But I think what made Lola so special was truly our, I mean, I was, I want to say 26 or 27. We had run other people's restaurants. You know, i Liz ran the front and was a psalm and and I was a chef and but like the rest of it we didn't know as much about as we thought so I I think our like lack of knowledge and passion and vigor and um, really fearlessness about making a mistake served us really well because we just did what we wanted we never said like you know like let's put this dish on the menu oh do you think people will like this or like when Liz was designing it like is this too eclectic for Cleveland or you know, we, we didn't limit ourselves. We just did what we loved and did what we wanted to do. And people responded to it. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be learned by that. Like sometimes you just got to go for it. And, you know, when we were, you know, for lack of other terms, young and dumb, going for it was very easy. Yeah. I mean, what you didn't know uh, couldn't hurt you at the time, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Uh, how, how did you guys meet? It was it was in the business, right? Yeah, we, we met in um, in 1990 at, at a, a restaurant called Players. It was a little high end Italian restaurant and she ran the front and I was actually hired as a cook. So, you know, as I tell everybody, it was terrific training for marriage because when I met Liz in 1990, she was technically my boss. And <laughs> here, here I am, you know, 31 years later and she's still my boss. She's still boss. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Spoken like a, a very smart, happily married husband. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, no, that's great. I, I want to talk more just a, about your restaurants and, and in kind of your progression. Uh, first of all, what Lola, the name Lola, who, who is Lola in your life? We named Lola after my aunt who is, you know, she just loaded with charisma, very outgoing, life of the party, was my, you know, one of my favorite people growing up as a kid. So the combination of just her personality and we love the name so much was like, it was a a no-brainer for us. We wanted that name, a female name. Initially, my nickname for Liz is Lulu. Originally, we were going to call it Lulu, but there was a very famous restaurant called Lulu in California at the time. And then so we called it Lola because we love my Aunt Lola. Was uh, was the restaurant the life of the party as well? Yeah, it was. I mean, especially when we when we first our, our, the original Lola was only 48 seats. And again, we were younger, so we would stay open till two o'clock every morning. And, you know, all the restaurant trade would come there to eat. And so, yeah, it was a pretty bumping little little place back then. And then as we started getting older, we're like, you know, maybe 11 o'clock is when we should close, <laughs> you know, but those first five to 10 years were really fun. 
Uh, do you remember your first like well-known or famous customer? I do. Lola was very interesting because it would, when you would go into the, like we played loud music and it was dark and we would get this very interesting mix of like kind of young hip people and then older people that heard about it or wanted to try food. And, you know, when I say older, they're probably like my age now, but um, <laughs> seems so old at that time. Right. I know. So, but I remember like the second we're, we're very into my Liz and I both are very into music. So we knew a lot of people in the music scene in Cleveland and probably the second week we were open at one table was Trent Reznor of nine inch nails and sitting right next to him was Dick Jacobs, who owned the Cleveland Indians, you know, who was like older in like a, a powder blue suit. And then Trent was Trent, you know, and I'm like, this is, this is everything I want this restaurant to be. This is like, <laughs> you know, we have the owner of the Indians. We have like Cleveland's one of Cleveland's biggest rock stars sitting right next to each other, having a conversation and both so happy. Like this is everything that I want. And then like a week right after that, I was, we were only open for dinner back then. And I was prepping in the morning and I look and there's someone knocking at the door and I'm walking towards the door and I'm like, Oh, oh my God, it's Sammy Hagar. Like, wow. So I answer the door and he's like, Hey man, I know you guys just opened. I didn't know you weren't open for lunch. Uh, Trent Reznor told me that this is the place I got to eat in Cleveland. He's like, uh, hi, I'm Sammy Hagar. I'm like, <laughs> like no, I, I was a Van Halen fanatic. Still am. So I was like, I'm fully aware who you are, you know? And he goes, is Michael here? I'm like, I'm Michael. He goes, I'll come back for dinner. I'm like, sit down. I'll cook you lunch. So he comes in, I cook him lunch. We've been buddies ever since. Like wow. we've, we've been friends ever since then. But th those were like the first three. Like it was uh, Trent and Dick Jacobs, the owner of the Indians, and then Sam. That's a great story. Did like more athletes, I mean, being such a big sports fan, did more athletes kind of start to, to find their way to the restaurants as well? Yeah, we, we got a lot of athletes. I mean, LeBron had always been a great supporter of ours through and through. Whoever was the quarterback of the Browns at the time <laughs> was always very supportive. Yeah, we've gotten we've gotten most of the athletes come through, and and a lot of you know like uh, Mike Fratello, who used to coach the Cavs, like and still lives in Cleveland to this day. Like he used to always he'd bring in all the coaches, and you know like when the Indians would play the Yankees, the the managers at the time of the Indians were big fans of ours, and the owners of the Indians. So like you know Billy Crystal used to come in, and like whenever there was like all that big uh, playoff series kind of atmosphere and the, the the stars from different parts of the country would come in we would always get them which was great you have opened such a, a large variety of restaurants in your career what do you love about opening restaurants and, and just you know that lifestyle it's a tremendous rush i mean opening the restaurants a tremendous rush we get to do it together my favorite thing is like training the staff and watching when they have kind of that aha moment like Oh, this is, what, oh my God, I got it. I understand now, you know, you know, regardless of the concept, whether it's very high end fine dining or barbecue or burgers, it's like, once they understand what you're trying to accomplish, you know, it makes it much, much easier. Uh, and, and then the other thing is, we, you know, we've over, I mean, we've had to close restaurants in the past year because of the pandemic and everything else, but you know, we've, we've had staff that's worked with us forever and ever and ever. And, and, you know, that like my culinary director, Katie Pickens has been with me since she's been, I think, 19 years old for 17 years. She's 36 now, you know, and she wow. she runs the culinary part of my of our business. How, how has the Cleveland food scene changed since then? Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's exploded. I mean, in, in 97, there weren't a lot of 
there just weren't as many options. You know, there were good restaurants and good chefs and people working really hard, but now there's a lot more depth and it's been really fun to watch the growth and, and to watch people that have worked with us and for us go on to do their own things and open their own restaurants and have success. You know, it's like, you know, I always say you're, you know, you're as good of a teacher and as strong as your family tree is. And I'm, I'm very proud of our tree. Yeah. I mean, you, you and Liz are your partners in all senses of the word, you know, life and business, but what are some of the challenges of, of being in, in, in business with your, your significant other? <laughs> it's actually easy. That's the easy, like people always say, Oh my God, like guys do restaurants together. Now you do some TV stuff together. Like why it's like, I'm like, that's easy. Like we get to the, like when we would get to the restaurant, I go in the kitchen, she'd go in the front. Like it was <laughs> very, there was a very, you know, there's a line. You know, yeah. And you know, even when we do like Simon's dinners together, it's like, she's going to basically do pastries and cocktails and I'm going to do savory. And I mean, we obviously talk about everything and interact about everything, but you know, now in being together over 30 years, we, we understand our roles at home too, but it was like <laughs> in the early years, they weren't as easy to figure out as the restaurant was. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have seemed to, to figure it out pretty well. And speaking of, of Simon's dinners, um, I mean, you guys have self shot and, and produced dozens of these Facebook live videos, um, which is, you know, evolved into an actual TV show as, as yeah. well. Give us the backstory of all of how that all came to be. You know, I, I got to say, it's, it's probably the most fun I've ever had doing television. And that's in respect to every other thing I've ever done. So uh, the day I was driving to Manhattan from Long Island to shoot at Food Network and I got through the bridge under, or, I'm sorry, under the, through the tunnel. And I get a text, food network closed, the, the city's shutting down, we're closing. I'm like, oh my God. So I like go have an espresso at my apartment, get back in the car. And I'm driving back with Olivia, Liv, who does Simon's dinners with us. And before I get in the car, I send a note to David Zasloff. And I said, look, I don't know what is going to happen with this. I'm going back to my house in Long Island. I have my social media director with me who shoots all my stuff for social, you know, we could create content if you guys want and need content because everything is shut down. By the time we got back to Long Island, you know, he had put me on a chain email, like, you know, group email. And literally, I think three days after that, we started shooting Simon's dinners for Facebook Live. We did, I want to say 45 or 50 of them straight days you know, literally the first basically 50 days of the, of the shutdown. And it got like 35 or 35 million views or 40 million views, like an insane amount of traffic. Wow. And, and then they turned it into a show for, you know, the, in the kitchen block on the, on the weekend. So we still shoot it at home. Liv still shoots the majority of the phone show on her iPhone. You know, we, now we set up like two GoPros and, you know, a wide shot with the camera, but there's no camera man or camera woman. There's live with their iPhone. She gets the majority of the shots and we get a wide and, and set up the two GoPros and, and we basically shoot live to tape. I mean, there's a little editing, but it's as, it's as close to that Facebook live kind of situation. I think is you can get for a cooking show. Um, I mean, fortunately, like I've been cooking my, most of my life. So like, I don't need that whole, like I just cook. I don't really mm. need the, swap out situation. Like, I'm just like, let's go. All right, let's go. You know? And, and when it's a longer cook, we just kind of pause and then we get back into it. So 
it's fun to do because I feel like I'm just really, you know, we're cooking and we're teaching people, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, Liv, Olivia is only 28. So the questions that she asks during the show, I feel are the questions that a lot of home cooks have, you know, listen, I don't have those questions. We've been working in restaurants our whole lives. So like a lot of things that seem like, Oh, everybody knows this. And then Liv asks questions. I'm like, how would you know that? She's like, <laughs> nobody knows that. No one knows what you're talking about. So, you know, I, I think that that's what makes it like the combination of those things is what makes it very relatable to people. Yeah. I think it resonated with a lot of people, you know, especially during that, that first, you know, two months or whatever it was. It was like that half, half hour to an hour a day, depending on what we did, where people are just like, okay, I'm going to forget about all this stuff and I'm just going to have fun. And, and we were literally going, you know, I'm sure you remember, it's like, that was the time when you go to the grocery store and you're like, nothing is there. (laughs) So it was like, we were shopping like everybody else was shopping. It was like, okay, today we have two cans of beans, you know, some ham and, and I'm going to make dinner, you know, and I just think that that just connected with people. Up next, we get into the real meat of the conversation. That's right. We're talking all about barbecue when we come back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah. And, and now, like you said, it's evolved into to Simon's dinners. We see you utilizing the grill for a lot of things that are, you know, traditionally made on the stove or oven, you know, pot of rice, chicken pot pie, meatballs, bagels. What would you say to people to maybe inspire them to experiment a little bit more with the grill, especially during these summer months? Well, you know, I just love being outside and I think the cleanup is easier outside. Yep. <laughs> so over and I've learned this from my grandfather and my father. It's like, like what I always try to teach people is 
anything you could do inside, you could do outside. Anything you could do outside, you could do inside for the most part. And as soon as you put the lid down on your grill, it's an oven. Like it's an oven. Mm -hmm. So if you could, like I cook like charcoal, but if you have a gas grill, once you figure out how to control the heat, when you put the lid down, you just watch the temp gauge. You know, if you want to bake something at 350, wait till it gets to 350 and adjust it to that rate. You, there's nothing that, that anyone can make inside on a stovetop or an oven that I can't make on the grill. And, and that's what I try to show people. Yeah. So I mean, just have fun with it. You do have a lot of the, you know, the toys, the, the bells and whistles in the backyard setup. You've got the smoker, the, the green egg, the charcoal grill. I do, but you know, but 90% of what I do on Simon's dinners is uh -huh. with a Weber pot belly grill. All right. So you is, know. That, is that what you would recommend to maybe like a first time grill? hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. It's still, you know, like, look, I got a big eight foot mill scale smoker and I love <laughs> it. And I, you know, like it's the Liz can't stand it. You know, like she looks at this <laughs> big piece of steel in our backyard. She's like, are you kidding me? You know, but still most of my data, like that's what I use if I'm making a brisket or whatever. But most of my day to day cooking, I do on the same grill that I grew up with. It's a little black. 18 and a 23 inch mine is um, pop belly Weber. You know, you could go to any hardware store and pick one up for under a hundred bucks. And that's where I do most of my cooking. I, I think it's the, the most inexpensive, versatile tool you could get for outside. Just goes back to basics, right? Just... Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm a less is more kind of cook. <laughs> uh, will you describe your personal cooking style as meat centric, which, you know, for a girl, over here who grew up on a cattle farm in Montana speaks to me on a number of levels, but can you elaborate on how your, you know, your culinary point of view kind of evolved into that? Or maybe it was always that, you know, it was always, I mean, you know, you grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, fish isn't like a thing, you know, I mean, there's walleye and perch and those seasons, but it's not, you know, I didn't grow up with a, even though I had a Greek mother who loved cooking fish, I didn't grow up with a ton of seafood in my life, you know, so we grew up eating a lot of meat and, and, uh, you know, we would do the whole lamb on spits and all that kind of stuff as a kid. And I was just always so intrigued by it. And I was always intrigued by live fire and meat as a kid. And then when, you know, once I went to culinary school and started working in restaurants, I just like, you want to focus which on what you enjoy doing the most. And I, I thought those were the things I enjoyed doing the most, which, and I also thought that they tasted the best, you know? So <laughs> now I, I do, cook with a ton of vegetables too, you know, cause I mean, Liz was a vegetarian for 25 years. So, you know, my vegetable game had to be strong. So, but like, you know, like, so for me, you know, I'm, I'm very vegetable centric and then meat centric. I don't like, if I have a starch, it's more like I make myself a pasta and I have a pasta, but like, if I'm doing an entree, like I'm not one of those chefs, like you'll very rarely see like meat and a big potato or meat and rice. It's always like meat and veg. Mm. Um, and, and probably a lot of that is evolved into that because of how I was raised. And then, you know, being with a vegetarian for half over half my life. Do you have a favorite protein to cook with and a favorite vegetable to cook? I mean, favorite protein is pork because it's just so versatile. Um, you know, I mean, it's in the words of Homer Simpson, like you're trying to tell me one animal gives us bacon, ham, pork chops and ribs. <laughs> you know, and Accurate. So I do love the versatility of, of the hog. You know, my, I love root vegetables. So, you know, beets, carrots, turnips, celery root. I love cabbages, uh, which is probably my Eastern Euro Cleveland upbringing. Uh, mm. Kohlrabi, I love. Um, you know, I, I love the vegetables that no one used to cheer for, but now have gotten more popular. Um, fortunately for me, it be, 
eventually became trendy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was an under a true underdog story, and now yeah. now they're now they're shining. As you've mentioned, you you have a strong uh, affection for barbecue. You you have the the barbecue restaurant Mabel's. You're a mentor on Barbecue Brawl. Is there something specific that that draws you to to barbecue? The patience of it, you know that. Uh, look, I, I love throwing a ribeye in the grill and eating it 20 minutes later, but there's there's something magic about taking a tougher cut of meat and putting it in a smoker and then 15 hours later, it's done. You know, I, I love the process of cooking and the techniques of cooking. So those things always appealed to me. I like making ham and prosciutto and salami and, you know, slow cooking meats. And I, you know, and, and again, a lot of that is how we grew up. It's like when I was a kid, we, we couldn't afford steak. We didn't eat a steak. You know, we ate cuts of meat that were inexpensive that either had to be braised or smoked or slow roasted or like, that's what we ate. And it's like, that's why, like when the offal started becoming popular, my grandfather used to like, he would come into Lola and he'd be like, you're charging $18 for sweet bread. You should be ashamed of yourself. You could get them at the market for a buck. And I'm like, Pat, not anymore. You can't, you know? So it was like, <laughs> so that just always kind of saying to me, so I, you know, I, I just love the process. And again, the live fire thing, I, you know, I guess I, I like starting fires as a kid. It just worked out for me as an adult. You, you, you made it into a career. Uh, right. Well, Let's talk barbecue brawl. This is obviously the the competition show with Bobby Flay and Eddie Jackson. You guys each pick and mentor, you know, teams of master barbecuers and a variety of very tough grilling challenges. So as a, a master barbecuer yourself, how much fun is the show? So much fun. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, people know now that Bobby and I are very, like, we've been best friends for a long time. You know, you know, we don't see each other a ton because of work and all those other things. And, you know, we're, we're always working, but like for 20 plus years, he's been one of my closest friends, you know, and I, one, when we get to do these shows together, we get to hang out for like three weeks, which is right <laughs> off the rip is great. You know, and I think what the camera catches a lot of times is almost like us in our natural environment, just giving each other shit, you know, and, and all of a sudden now it's on TV. Like we forget that we're on TV. And then Eddie was the perfect addition to the whole thing. He's just a great guy and really fun and has no problems busting chops. Like, like, you know, Bobby and I did season one together and then Eddie came with us this year and it, it was just a riot. We, we you know, it, it was, we had a blast doing it. I mean, you can definitely tell uh, that you guys had a good time. Uh, what is your strategy for picking your team on the show? You know, I always try to look for, I do the same thing in my restaurant. Like, like obviously you want people that have are skilled, but I also kind of look for a personality, you know, that like, I like where there, there doesn't feel like there's a lot of arrogance there, you know, that they are going to be good teammates to the people that are around them. So it's like, when it gets onto the nitty gritty, yes, it's a competition, but I, I always feel it's beneficial that if you have a group of people that are comfortable working together and helping each other get through. So, you know, that, that was my kind of goal, you know, when I was putting the team together and then like one of the, like Brittany Baker, you know, I've known her father and, and I knew her, you know, for 25 plus years. So it was like, I knew right off the rip, like, with Britt, like there's someone who's a team player always and is going to work hard and it's always fun to be around. She understands team very well. Mm -hmm. And coaching. <laughs> and coaching, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, obviously you you are there to to mentor and coach, you know, these competitors, but did you learn anything from them along the way? Oh, always. I mean, they all were super talented, all had like different skill sets, but did some really, like a really cool fried chicken one day that was great. And, uh, you know, all, all of them just did things a little bit differently. So I would just kind of let them do their thing and then say like, maybe we could add this, or what do you think about this? And, you know, I, I took it truly as a mentor. I didn't want to do the work for them, so to speak. I wanted them to kind of think it out for themselves and then say like, what do you think if maybe we added a touch of this or a touch of that or did this or did that? And, you know, most of the time it worked. Some of the time it didn't. Sometimes I gave bad advice like any anybody else. But uh, for the most part, I think we worked really well as a group. Last year, your team fell to Team Bobby and, and you mentioned it. You guys have been best friends for 20 years. Um, how much did that sting? Oh, <laughs> uh, it stung. I mean, for you know, I guess fortunately and unfortunately, it's like off camera. I think I beat him in most things. Like in golf, I just he's built he's put additions on my house, you know. But it's <laughs> an exaggeration. But um, but like like for Iron Chef, all the years Iron Chef, they always wanted us to go against each other. We said we're not doing it. You know, we'll be partners. We'll go against other chefs. We're not going to cook against each other. And uh, so this like last year was like the first time we really went against each other on TV, and he won. And I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> I mean, we laughed about it. We had a good time with it. But I'm like, oh my god, the first time I go against you on like in a televised event, you win. I'm like, where's the camera when like we're golfing and you're paying me at the end? That's when we need the camera. <laughs> uh, why do you think you guys get along so well? You know, to be honest with you, him and Liz have a very similar personality. They're both like Bobby's pretty quiet in real life. And I, I think a little bit on the shy side. And my wife's the same way. Liz is very quiet and shy, you know, until you get to know him, obviously. So, uh, you know, obviously I am not quiet nor shy. <laughs> Um, as both Liz and Bobby like to tell me, they're like, dude, you know, when you're in an elevator, you don't need to make friends with the person in the elevator with you. And I'm like, well, they're just, or the Uber driver or, yeah, I mean, I mean, I got 20 minutes. Well, why not converse? So, you know, I, I think that the reason that we get along so well is like little yin and yang kind of situation. You know, so we we play off each other very well in that manner. This has been so much fun. Uh, we are going to wrap up with a, a quick rapid fire round and then one final question here on Food Network Obsessed. All right. Favorite barbecue style? Uh, oh, gosh, it's such a hard one. I mean, I like the Cleveland style that we do. But if I had to pick one, I would say Eastern Carolina. What's Cleveland style? Well, we kind of developed our own style. It's a very mustard vinegar based style. Okay. And we use a lot of the Eastern European spices. All right. Um, coffee order coffee order would be um either a double espresso or a macchiato okay late night snack of choice oh this is the easiest one ever <laughs> salt and vinegar potato chips with french onion dip oh okay i like the the combo there um charcoal or gas grill i feel like i know the answer but <laughs> yeah <laughs> What's a gas grill? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So charcoal. Um, all time favorite Cleveland athlete. Oh, wow. That's tough. Gosh. You know what? He's a dear friend. And I think it, because a lot of it is my it, it really was my childhood. I'm going to say Bernie Kozar. OK, um, I think I know the answer to this one as well, based on one of your other answers. But pork or beef? Pork, but pork. it's close. It's close. Okay. Worst thing you've ever cooked? Mm. Oh, uh, cow testicles. Okay. 
What, what went wrong? I, you know, I, well, I was always, I'm always one of those people. I want to try everything. So one of my sushi at the time said like, we're just going to keep trying everything. And like, we got to the, you know, you hear Rocky mountain oysters, all that stuff. Like we braised them, sauteed them. And then like, I said like, you know what? They're, they're not good. Let's, if they're not good fried, they won't be good. Cause anything fried just tastes better. <laughs> so we fried them awful. And I, so and I like, head. and I eat everything. I eat brains, liver, heart. I, I eat everything, but man, those things are not good. I had to judge a local like cooking competition once and that was the secret ingredient. And I was Mm -mm. not a fan either. (laughs) Nope. Uh, All right. Final rapid fire question. Favorite food network show that you are not on. That's a good one. Good eats. Ah, good choice. All right. Our final question on food network obsessed. This is the one we ask everybody before we let you go. So what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert, You there's no rules. You can travel, time travel, spend however much money you want. Anybody can cook it for you. Uh, it's it's your day. So go. Okay, go. All right. I would actually <laughs> have Slate. Bobby makes great scrambled eggs. So I would mm-hmm. have him make me one of any variety of his scrambled eggs um, in the morning. I would prefer if they got a little fancy, like maybe a little caviar on there. Mm. He does that occasionally with some brioche toast. So Flay gets to work. I want eggs for breakfast. Okay. Lunch. What would my, my favorite lunch would be. I would go to Barbuto, the original Barbuto and go see Jonathan Waxman mm-hmm. and have him make me his roasted chicken with salsa verde, some smashed potatoes and a shaved Brussels sprout salad. Okay. And then for dinner, if I was in Cleveland for dinner, I just had it the other night. I would go to my mom's and ask for lasagna because nothing beats it. She never makes it the same, really. Like I've done some, I've written some recipes that are my mom's lasagna. They're like one of her versions, but she kind of just wings it, but it's always perfect. Had it the other night, fantastic. If I wasn't in Cleveland, I would get in a car or something and I'd get the Philly and I would have Mark Vetri make me pasta. Lots of pasta. It could be (laughs) lasagna, could be whatever he wants. I really don't care. No one makes pasta as good as Mark, period. End of conversation. Don't even want to discuss it with anyone. (laughs) What about dessert? Oh, dessert. So I, you know, I'm a little bit weird with dessert. I don't like a million different things. I like my desserts relatively straightforward and simple. But my pastry chef for a million years, Summer, used to make a like a dark chocolate pudding with toffee popcorn Mm. on it and sea salt. And it just made me so, so happy. If, if, if I couldn't have that, I'd go back in time and I'd have my Yaya's rice pudding. But it would either be rice pudding or that dark chocolate pudding with that salty uh, caramel toffee popcorn. What about the baklava? Or is that just a snack? Bak- the baklava, it's a snack. That's not dessert. That's a, <laughs> that's a snack. That's, a, that's an in-between meal snack. Well, it sounds like a, a perfect food day with a lot of um, people that you really respect in your life. So I, I love that. And I love chatting with you and catching up. And thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Ciao. I do have to say, I love the Michael Bobby bromance. It is a a fun thing to listen to. They clearly have a lot of respect and admiration for each other. Perhaps maybe there's a a Bobby and Michael go to Italy on the horizon or, or maybe Greece or Eastern Europe. You can catch Michael heating things up on the latest season of Barbecue Brawl, as well as on his cooking show, Simon's Dinners Cooking Out, both now streaming on Discovery+. 
As always, thanks so much for listening and make sure you follow us wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss a thing. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We do love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.